Well, good morning, Restoration Church. How are you today? Hey, can you give me tissues? <laughs> Sorry for that interruption. Uh, I did, wasn't paying attention. How are you today? <laughs> good. I'm glad that you're doing well, and uh, I'm doing good too. Thanks for asking. That's kind of a polite thing to do. No, uh, yeah, Fuse is tonight, and uh, myself, I'm going to be there. Uh, all of our past pastoral staff is going to be there. So excited to hang out with you teenagers, and, um, you know, it's going to be a great time. I know we've got a restoration worship band is going to be there. So to come tonight expecting God to do something amazing in your life. One thing, one of the reasons why we value Fuse Night, why we value our student ministries is because for so many of the people in our church, it was a time when God changed our life. So I was 14 years old for me when all of a sudden I experienced God for the first time, and it absolutely changed my life. Well, listen, let me tell you a story. When I was in Bible college, and so what's Bible college? That's a, that's a uh, just college but you're studying the Bible. So studying theology and scripture and, and ministry. And we, I had this one professor that I liked a lot. I only had him for one class because he was more of an administrator. And so he, he taught this one class. But I loved part of his testimony. And so every day when we come to this class, he'd end up telling us these stories, honestly, because the class was really boring. And so he was trying to help make the class worthwhile to attend. And... And so every week, we'd end up hearing a different part of his life. And so part of his story is he grew up Christian. He gave his life to Jesus at a young age and, um, and felt that God wanted him to be in ministry, but really ultimately didn't want to do it. So kind of ran from it. Didn't run away from God, but ran away from the calling on his life. So he ended up becoming very, very wealthy. I forget what part of the country he grew up in, but he, he owned multiple car dealerships, a Mercedes car dealership. And so he was, he was you know, the big guy. And, um, and so he was using his finances. He was doing a lot of generosity, a lot of giving, and really enjoying um, being able to serve his church in that capacity, serving on the board, serving... Um, you know, at different positions and whatever. And one thing I loved is w him telling his story is one day as he's driving in his Mercedes and driving to him from the dealership, all of a sudden the spirit of God just hit him. He had to pull over in his car and he couldn't stop crying. And finally, as a middle-aged man said, all right, God, I'll do what you want me to do. And so sold his dealerships, went and became a pastor, and then ultimately, he was, a, he was an administrator and a professor at the school I went to. So the class that I'm in, he's telling us the stories. It's, uh, it's pretty much all single people in the room. There's maybe a couple married people, but it's pretty much all single people in the room. And he's, he's reminiscing about being, uh, about being single. And so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna act this out. So he's, he's leaned over the the podium in the center of the classroom. Man, I remember it like it was yesterday. And he's telling us, and he, he's looking up, and you can see him reliving all these things. And he's talking about when he was single. And some of this I kind of talked about last week, but he says, you know, I remember when I was, when I was single, and, 
and I went to and I and I went to college, and I'm pretty sure he went to Bible college. If I remember right, he went to Central Bible College in Missouri. And he said, "I, I prayed every day that Jesus wouldn't come back. I prayed, Jesus, don't come back until after I get married." And he's talking about that in that room, and so many people resonate and and um, resonate with that thought because. You know, half the room is, actually probably 75% of the room was single guys. And, and so he, he's telling that. And so when he, he finally says it. And so from my seat, I raised my hand. And I said, and now that you're married, you can't wait for him to come back? And he laughed. He's been married like 35 years. He laughed like I've never seen anybody laugh before. I mean, it looked like he, it, he was like hunched over and he turned bright red. Honestly, we got a little bit concerned because we thought he was dying. He was laughing, laughing, laughing. And, and, I, and I promise you, I'm not exaggerating this. I promise you I'm not exaggerating this. 35 seconds into that laugh, his wife walks into the room and I went, oh, which only made him like, he couldn't even talk, he couldn't hardly stand up, he's laughing so hard and she's like, what in the world is going on? And she hands him his papers and he couldn't even talk. It was the best. (laughs) Listen, why is that so funny? Because you know what? Marriage can be horrific and you just pray, Lord, take me home. Lord, come back. And you're just praying for there to be a trumpet sound one day. Like there are some, you're faithful to Jesus. Jesus, I want to serve you the rest of my life. And I've made a covenant before you and with my spouse, but there's got to be a way out of this. And I don't know of any other way than you returning. Listen, marriage can be horrific, but also I want you to hear something. It can be terrific. Hey, I almost rhymed. I should be chance to wrap it. Ah! Uh, (laughs) It can be terrific or horrific. But I want to talk to you this morning as we talk about pitfalls in marriage. Um, I... Originally, this was going to be one week, so we've extended the series. I told the staff a couple of days ago, this series is going longer because I needed two weeks for this topic. I had too much stuff packed into this week, and I've gone long in my sermons, too many weeks this year already, and so, (coughs) excuse me, that's going to make us go short too, and so anyway, two different weeks. Today, we're going to talk about pitfalls in marriage. Next week, we're going to talk about pitfalls in marital intimacy, pitfalls of a, a married sexual relationship. That's what we'll be talking about next week. And then um, the week after that, I think at some point, it will hit pitfalls in mental health. But this idea, terrific or horrific, last week we talked about pitfalls in dating. You're making a decision to move from singled, single life to married life. And there are some people who are married or who have been married, and they will tell you, avoid marriage at all costs. They will tell you that. Have you ever been, I I mean, really, across every location, if you raise your hand, if someone told you at one point in your life, don't get married, raise your hand. That's a lot of hands. Someone told that to me when I was a teenager in front of their wife. (laughs) 
That was a mistake. That was not a good way to continue that fight or to try to win that fight. And um, the, the, the reason people have said that is because of their bad experience. But even despite so many people in our church having been told that, not just in our church, but in culture, you hear it all the time. Even despite that fact, still, eight out of 10 single people, eight out of 10 people who have never been married before hope that they will get married one day. So even despite all the people saying, don't get married, don't get married, don't get married, don't get married, still hidden within our heart is a dream to maybe one day get married. It's a bad day to have a microphone on my face because I feel like I just got pepper sprayed. For that, that's not good behavior uh, for, for, uh, for church. Hold on one second. Everybody. I feel like uh, my professor. Uh, so why do we have that desire? It's not eight out of 10 um, single Christians that's eight out of 10 single people in the United States who've never been married hope to still one day get married. Listen, here's one of the reasons. Because God designed marriage. And the things that God designed, he put within us something that is drawn toward those things. And you have to work hard in your life to avoid the things that God has naturally put in you a desire to have. He's put within everybody a natural desire to believe in him. And some people work very, very hard to ignore that desire. You know, every, every year at Restoration Church, we have people coming and we ultimately say, why do you start coming to church? They're like, I don't believe in God, but my kid started asking me all these questions about God, and so we started coming to church. That happens all the time. Why? Because God put it within every single one of us. And eventually, as an adult, we talk ourselves out of it, out of pursuing that desire. Anyway, that's off subject. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter four. Paul is writing here from prison. So he's been imprisoned for being a follower of Jesus. And he's writing to the church in the city of Ephesus. In the second half of this letter to the Ephesian church, chapters four through six, Paul is teaching us how to live now that we've received the good news of Jesus. You've heard the good news of Jesus, that he was killed on the cross in our place, that he has been risen from the dead and that we can have forgiveness through the work he did on the cross. You can be forgiven because of Jesus. You can have eternal life because of Jesus. Now that we've received that good news, he's teaching us how to live in light of that. Respond to the good news by living out the good news. 
again, this is, this is probably a continuation of deeper. You've received Jesus, now you live differently because of that. Now, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 throughout the entire message, so keep that open. We're going to jump around a little bit because um, just, so you pay just so you're paying attention on me. Um, but let's start reading verses 21 through 24. Paul writes, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Put off your old nature. One of the things that I see as a pitfall in marriage is that we honor God in so many areas of our life, but we're not honoring him in the way we treat our spouse. And it, for some people, it seems to be the last place where there's sanctification. It's the last place in our life where we allow God to come in and transform us. And that is one of the reasons, because you're not letting God get in the middle of your relationship. You're not letting him deal with the way that you're treating the other person. That marriage can be something that's horrific. But let me ask you this question. How can we have a horrific marriage when we are two people who have received and are living out the good news? If we're two people who've received the good news, two people who follow Jesus, Two people are living out the good news. How would that lead to a horrific marriage? It's because maybe, likely, you have been living out, you've gotten trapped in one of these pitfalls. So these are four, relationship, uh, four relational pitfalls, four marital pitfalls that guarantee the horrific all right, and I didn't make, I didn't make these up. Uh, these have been documented and these have been studied. And so they've discovered that 90% of divorces involve at least one, if not more of these things. And certainly as we go through these things and you're like, one, two, three, four, I do all four of these. Um, we are going to get you connected with a marriage counselor this week. All right, and uh, because you're, you are, uh, you are on the wrong path. If you connect with one of these, and likely you will, you'll recognize that maybe there's a behavior you used to do in a past or there's a behavior that exists in your relationship right now. Again, even if you say it's just one, we'll make it through. I would still direct you to a marriage counselor to work through that, to learn new ways to communicate and interact so your marriage can keep building toward the terrific and not building toward horrific. And here's like the one thing, if we know God, his mercies are new every morning, his goodness never ends, um, his, uh, he, he, you know, it never ceases, the goodness and the depths of God we can experience, it would be the same thing true for your marriage. That if your marriage is terrific, it can ha even have bad grammar and become terrificer, all right? It can get better. 
We keep working on it. We keep working on ourselves. And these are things as we walk through these pitfalls. This is not for you to say, yeah, my spouse does that. This is for you to evaluate, do I do this? How do I need to change? How am I living out the good news of Jesus? And we're not pointing fingers at anybody. This is for you. If your marriage is gonna change, you need to change. Number one, relational pitfall. Number one, withdrawal. Withdrawing is a behavior that maybe you recognize, and, I, and I'll be honest, this, if, of the one of the four things on this list that, uh, that I've done in the past, that I'm tempted to do in the future, it's this one. And what this means is that uh, one person closes out the other person when an argument starts. So you begin, maybe it's a disagreement, that it's not even heated at all. It's just, hey, I think you missed that turn. And just, I'm not even going to listen to you right now. I'm going the way I'm going. I know I'm right. I know you're wrong. I'm not even going to listen to anything you might say. Withdrawing. Certainly it shows up um, in its most negative form with the other person's talking and fighting. And you just completely, as a power move, shut the door in their face, leave. And you say it's, I just need space, I just need to, but, you, but honestly, be honest with yourself right now. You're doing it as a power move. The, I'm not going to speak to you for three days, those types of things. This withdrawing behavior is absolutely destructive to your marriage. Ephesians, um, verse number three in chapter four says this. It says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Now, he's not talking here about marriage. He does that later in chapter six, but he's building the framework. Hey, you're gonna act as Christians, as people who've received the good news. This is how you act. Here's the foundation. And then later he starts specifically speaking toward marriage. So this is the foundation. So even though this isn't talking about marriage specifically, it is talking to Christian marriage specifically. To make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. So are you making an effort to keep yourselves united when you're purposely withdrawing yourself physically and emotionally from your spouse? Absolutely not. You're purposely doing the opposite. And listen, I, I do this one. I struggle with this one and I don't slam the door in my wife's face I don't leave the house I don't go sleep on the couch but here's what I do emotionally disconnect just to I'm dead now <laughs> and what we think is for sometimes it is a um, a protective behavior it is a destructive behavior. 85% of failed relationships show a lack of communication and with withdrawing, you are deliberately saying, I will no longer communicate with you. What we need to do is we need to deal with conflict head on when possible the same day. I'll tell you right now, Michelle and I don't do that. There's some people who say, we stay up all night if we have to in order to um, in order to resolve our conflicts, we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. For us, sleep is the most precious thing on earth. And so we take advantage of that 
every time we can. The commitment we have is one of us doesn't sleep on the couch or go get a hotel room. So our commitment is we'll go to bed angry, but we'll go to bed in the same bed. That seems like a good compromise. Um, but allow, if you're, if you're both making the decision, hey, we're heated about this, let's talk about this later, or I am really feeling angry, and I'm feeling like I can't have this conversation right now, and you're making the decision to separate, that's not withdrawal, all right? Because again, that's mature, that's conversation, that's both of you talking. So, hey, I'm getting heated. I'm getting heated. Can I call a timeout? All right? Can we have this conversation tomorrow? Can we, um, can we, can we pick this up? All right? Right now, I'm feeling, and if the other person says, um, in a polite, mature manner, I'd like to have this conversation now. You ha- again, you're having a conversation about when to have the conversation in a mature and healthy way. If you're withdrawing, there's nothing mature or healthy about the way you do that. It's talk to the, talk to the left because you ain't right. <laughs> I've always wanted to use that in a sermon. Number two, escalation. Maybe this is you. This is not really me. I can escalate, but um, this is my wife. Uh, you heard in my sermon last week, you heard, um, which was fictitious. Anyway, apparently number three is my issue too. But number two, shouting, blaming, using degrading names directed at your mate, trying to win the argument instead of cooperating as a team to solve the disagreement. Couple of things here. Number one, we don't fight in our marriage, we fight for our marriage. That's a principle that will change your stance. We're not fighting face to face, we are back to back. We are a team. We are not Charlie's Angels. Please stop taking those pictures. That is my pet peeve. That's my biggest pet peeve in life. Don't do that. <laughs> we. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. We. We, so yeah, one, we fight for our marriage. We don't fit in our marriage again. And you take the video game analogy. Um, our game of marriage, it is a cooperative game. All right, We're, it's not one against, it's not competitive. Who has the highest score? It is our score together. That's how we win. It's our score together. Sometimes someone's on a level they can't do, we pick it up for them. Sometimes we're both hitting high scores, but it is a cooperative game that we're working through together. Ephesians 4.26, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Escalating. Well, I'm mad, so I'm gonna tear you apart. I'm mad, So I'm going to remind you of every wrong thing you've ever done in this marriage. I'm mad, so I'm just going to attack you. This is destructive. One of the destructive things about escalation is once you are sorry and you're repentant, 
those words have still damaged that person. Michelle and I have never, we don't ever cuss at each other. I know that's a common practice in some, even in some Christian marriages. You can't take those words back and that type of language back. Escalation. Often in escalation, it's the overuse of the word you. So again, you're not talking about the wrong things you're doing. You're not talking about how you're raising your voice and you're screaming. It's you, 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 you. And you're trying to tear that person down. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Don't provoke each other to escalate either. And if you're someone who withdraws and your spouse is someone who escalates, you can provoke them to that and think that you're in the right. So they start talking, they've got a problem, and so you just ignore them and walk out of the room, you don't say a thing. And so then they lose their mind, and you're like, how dare you? How dare you yell at me? Well, your behavior is no better, your behavior is different. Both sinful, both wrong, both destructive. Grow up. <laughs> it's not always that easy. That's why we're gonna recommend counselor to you. Number three, belittling. This is putting the other person down. Dumb, stupid, you can't even do one thing right. You don't even care about me. Verse number 29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. belittling, trying to make the other person feel smaller. And so even using it in an argument, even not even in a, in a just in a demeaning way. Well, who's the one who has the college degree? That's right, I do. Well, who's the one who makes all the money? Well, who's the one whose parents are still married? Well, who's the one? And trying to make the other person feel ignorant, stupid, and small. You'll win the argument, you will lose the marriage. You'll win the argument, you will lose your spouse. Scripture says in Philippians that we should think of others more valuable than ourselves. Belittling is the opposite of that. It's a destructive, ungodly behavior. Number four, exaggerated or false beliefs. You see more negative things about the other person than there are actually there. Or maybe even they are all there, but that's all you can see. It's exaggerated beliefs. Thinking your spouse is ruining the marriage on purpose. Thinking that... Um, again, not giving them the benefit of the doubt. In fact, giving them the benefit of, of, of the opposite. Like, no matter what they do, you're assuming they've done it for, um, for bad intention. Hey, did you, um, did you pick up the, the, the bread on the way in for the grocery store? No, I forgot. I knew it. You hate me. <laughs> I mean, I know. 
um, this exaggerated or false belief, it becomes the filter through which we see everything else. You're not able to see the godly treasure your spouse is because you're believing these negative, exaggerated, and false beliefs about them and about their behaviors. Ephesians 4.25 says this, so stop telling lies. Stop telling lies to yourselves. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Band and uh, musicians can, can move and come forward. So here's, here's maybe one area where, um, certainly where I've heard it most often as I'm, as I'm helping couples. I'll have husband and wife, and we're talking. And one will say to the other, hey, I'm sorry. And the other person will say, you always say that, you never mean it. You always say you're sorry, you never mean it. That's an exaggerated belief or false belief. Has literally every single time they've said sorry, they never meant it one time? I don't think that's true. Now, they may say sorry and not do anything different, and that's a whole different. It doesn't mean that they're not sorry. When my kids are real little and they color on the walls, and I say, that was a wrong thing to do. You're in trouble. And they say, I'm sorry. That doesn't keep them from drawing on the walls the next time they find me a Sharpie or a crayon hanging around. It's just like, oh, look. <laughs> hey, hey, you wrote on the walls again. I'm sorry. You don't mean that. You never mean it. You always tell me you're sorry. You don't mean it. No, they're sorry. But sometimes it takes a while to learn a new behavior. And when we give each other grace, we give each other an environment to learn new behaviors. Listen, likely, one of these you've been doing, you haven't even recognized it as being bad. But to keep it hanging around is a pitfall. It's going to bring destruction. It may take a long time. But even if your marriage isn't terrific and it doesn't actually get to horrific and it just kind of lives at mediocre, that's not what God wants for you. That's not good news. The good news, when we lived out in our life, we experienced the grace and the mercy and the greatness of God in every area of our life even in our marriage. So listen, let me close with these verses. Look down at verse 30 and then we'll, and we'll read verse number 32. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit in your marriage by withdrawing, escalating, belittling, or having these exaggerated and false beliefs about your spouse. Don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit by bringing these behaviors in your marriage. Remember, Jesus has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Instead, be kind to each other. That's, that sounds like a marriage builder. Be tenderhearted, 
Sounds like that will help my marriage if I do that. Forgive one another. I think, I think that will help my marriage if I do that. Just as God through Jesus Christ has forgiven you, I think it'll help my marriage if I remember that. He's forgiven me. I'll forgive them. We you close your eyes? Let me pray for you. Jesus, we lift up you. We lift up your name, the name that's above every other name. We thank you and we worship you. And I just pray, God, that, um, that these pitfalls that are in our marriage, one, we'd recognize them. We wouldn't deny, we wouldn't try to pretend we're perfect. We wouldn't try to act like we're the Christian couple that has it all together. We all are in need of you working in our heart and our life. We all have things we have to grow through. And I pray for the couple who says, hey, we actually have a couple of these, that they'll be determined to go um, go uh, get marriage help, even if it's from uh, a, another couple in church, that they'll go to see a counselor and, and they would never feel awkward or, or, or weird about that. And, uh, or, or marriage coach or marriage weekend, they just begin to, hey, marriage is terrific, but it can be even better. Help us, Jesus, to experience that. For anybody experiencing a horrific marriage, if we've got two spouses who are serving and, and, and following Jesus, we pray that they will give their whole heart to you. Recognize, wait, Jesus, I've accepted you in my heart, but I've not let you correct me in my marriage. We'd yield ourselves to you. We'd repent to you. We'd repent to our spouse. And we would grow. We would grow past these behaviors because they can be unlearned. We can learn new ways to communicate. We can learn new skills like being tenderhearted, like forgiving one another. We can learn these things. I pray we'd be committed to that. And our marriage will be a sign and wonder to the world of who you are and how great you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.